Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. Anytime you're in Huntsville, we hope you'll come be part of our worship. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. We hope you'll enjoy this lesson brought to us by Glenn Colley. Our scripture reading this morning comes to us from the book of Acts, chapter 5. Excuse me, chapter 12, beginning in verse 5. Acts 12, beginning in verse 5. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. The Holy Spirit, inspiring Luke, records these words. Acts 12, 5. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him, And did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they were past the first and the second guard posts, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel, and has delivered me from the hand of Herod, and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. You may be seated. The fact that we're assembling people to the degree that, that the church and assembling is pretty much synonymous. It's, it's who we are. We're assembling people. I suppose somebody might hear that and assume that it had to do with money. Because, you know, the more we assemble, the more people contribute. and it has nothing to do with money. The fact of the matter is, we, we take up a collection on the first day of the week. We never, ever, ever, ever solicit funds from people who are not members of the church. We don't do that. Sometimes we'll take up a collection if you have an emergency tornado and people are in desperate need. We, we might take up a, an exceptional extraordinary contribution for that. But this isn't about the, the money, the, the, the assembly that I'm talking about, the fact that church, the church assembles is really not about the money. Furthermore, it's interesting to me that when you go through the scripture, the emphasis is not placed on that you need to come to the assembly because if you don't, it's a sin. And we'll talk some more about that in a minute. But I mean, you do have Hebrews 10, 25. We're going to talk about that some too. And it, and it just says, don't forsake the assembling forsaking not the assembling of yourselves together as the habit of some is, but exhorting one another. So you have that, but, but the, that the majority of the discussion about assembling for Christians is just in the heart of Christianity. It is simply an assumption that the church will always be an assembling group of people. I mean, it's the heart of Christianity. We assemble. That's what we do. And so you have, you have Jesus described in 
In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25, the Bible says that, that like a man loves his wife, that, the, that Christ loves the church. Ready for this? And he gave himself for it. And then Philippians 2 says that you and I need to let the mind be in us that was first in Christ Jesus. We need to be his disciples. We think like him. The value he placed on the church was so very high. And there's the emphasis in Scripture. So Matthew 6 and 33 says to seek first the kingdom. The kingdom is the church. And his righteousness, that's what we do. We seek it first because we're Christians, because we're disciples of Jesus. And that's where he placed his value. This is our value system because it was his. This is our ethic, our religious ethic, because that was what he was about. I want to give you five things in this sermon. We assemble for these five reasons. Now, there are others. This is not exhaustive, but I think these are right at the top of the list. And and a couple of them I really want to emphasize. Now, here's the first one. It's because... The assembly displays the most important decision of my life. I'm a Christian. Christianity is not a part of my life. It's, it's the way to live my life. It defines who I am. It affects every facet of me, every, every day, every moment, every, every bit of me. is because I'm a Christian and I, I set my values based on that. What was the most important decision of your life? And the answer is becoming a Christian. That's what, that's what everybody, I think, in this room would answer, those who, of us who are Christians. The most important decision of my life was to become a Christian, right? Now, here, here's the verse that I want to launch this point with. It's 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 26. And the Bible says that when you eat the Lord's Supper, you eat the bread and you drink the fruit of the vine, that you do proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Now, look at what that Greek word means, because this is very interesting. It means to promulgate to declare, to preach, to show, to speak of, to teach. You're already preaching a sermon before I ever came into this pulpit this morning. We're all preaching something because here we are. We're not ashamed. We didn't pull the drapes down. I rather like the, I like the, the window coverings to be up so the sun will shine through when it's not a cloudy day. But we're not embarrassed about what we're doing. It's not em- embarrassing to me that my neighbors know that on, on the first day of the week I'll be in worship. Whenever the doors are open, if, if I'm not sick or something. I'm, I'm going to be here. And that's how almost all of you are in this room. We are displaying the most important decision of our lives. We put priority on this. Now, now there's a consequence to that because this morning, when you, when you put the Lord's Supper to your lips, and, and right now, as you and I study the Bible together, and there are various people in this room who are making notes of the sermon, when you, when you are in a room like you're in right now with people and, and one voice leads us in prayer and everybody else is praying along from our hearts when we're doing that, we're, we're an open rebuke to the world. We're, we're saying to the world, and I mean the world the way the New Testament uses the word world, not, not the, the planet, not the people of the world, but the mindset that's against Christ Jesus. You know, First John 2 and verse 15, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. When you and I are in this room doing what we're doing right now, we are expressing non-compliance with the world, right? I don't know any time in American history that that's been more true than it is right now. What we're doing right now is to push back and we're saying, I'm not going to follow along with what you're saying. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. I'm not embarrassed about it. That's who I am. And our worship always displays that. And it's, it's um, Jesus said, now, 
when you do this, when you, when you live a, a Christian life, a life of a disciple, it's not always going to go easy for you. So John chapter 15 says, they hated me, and so you can just bank on the fact that they're going to hate you. The point is that when I stand up and I worship God, when I assemble with you, I'm, I'm pushing back against the world. I'm declaring the most important decision of my life, and I'm declaring who I am. And it's part of my heart. So here is, here is Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. There's now no, no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. That's how we live our lives, right? We walk after the Spirit. What would it mean to walk after the flesh? It, it means just this. A man can act as if there is no world beyond this one. Or he can live his life like you do. And things like worshiping God like you're doing right now, which displays the fact that you know that there's a world beyond this one, a world beyond our ability to see. The world described in the New Testament as heaven or hell. I know that there's a God in heaven right now and I yield to him. Verse 8 of Romans 8, or verse 6 rather, Romans 8 says, to be carnally minded is death. What's that mean? It, it has to do with this walking after the flesh thing, acting like that this world is all there is. You have a, you have a worship habit. What is your, what is your worship habit? It's interesting in Hebrews 10 and 25 that that word is used in most translations. It's a right right word, forsaking not the assembling of yourselves together as the habit of some is, but exhorting one another. The Greek word there for habit is ethos, a word from which we get our word ethic. Your ethic is what you know to be or believe to be the right thing, and you conform your actions to your ethic. And so that's why you're here. This is your ethic. It's who you are and who you profess to be. And being here is consistent with your profession. It is your your ethic. We're declaring who we are when we assemble. And that's so important. We're declaring to whoever wants to see and pay attention. We're unashamed, unabashedly, unafraid. We're, We're worshiping to say, I'm a Christian. I'm serving King Jesus. He is my master and my Lord. And you look at the metaphors in the New Testament for for Christianity. Oh, I think it's fascinating. And I'll just give you a couple of them. So in Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, the church is called the body of Christ. Got that? Where's the body of Christ on earth today? The answer is, it's here. You're, you're, You're part of it if you're a member of the body of the church. It's the body of Christ. Or what about, what about the metaphors for the church being the house of God? 1 Timothy 3, 15. The house of God. Or Galatians 6.10, the household of God. Are you in the house? If you're, if you're a member of the body of Christ, if you're a member of the church, then you're part of that family. You are in the house. All right, so assembly is how we declare. It's not the only way, but it's a big way that we declare to the world around us. The most important decision we ever made. This is defining. It defines who I am. And here's the second thing, is that assembling for worship always involves giving and receiving needed encouragement. Is that true about you? Let me tell you something about your life as a Christian. You may not be going through it right now, but you're going to go through times that are very hard. 
Sometimes the world can deal you some real blows. And what happens is you get in this room and you have needed encouragement. That's what it's about. So Hebrews 10 and verse 25 says, don't forsake it. The assembling of yourselves, getting together like this, don't forsake it. But the opposite of that would be, but exhorting one another. That, that word exhorting means what you think. It means to build up and encourage and, and strengthen. And when you get to 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 26, it's a similar thing. He says, now, this is, this is one of those miraculous assemblies they had. They were displaying miraculous abilities. But it, but, but it become corrupted because people who had the tongues, the ability to speak in these languages they had not studied, it was a miracle. But they were showing off with it. And he said, look, if you don't have an interpreter when you do this, then just hush. Don't be doing this in the assembly without an interpreter. And the reason was because this assembly for worship is about edification. You you, uh, you appreciate this in your life? I know, I know. You, You and I could and do pray by ourselves. It's not the same thing as coming into a room like this. I love the worship in this room. We think about everybody's head bowed, everybody's praying to God. At the simultaneously, as a man, a good brother will lead us in that prayer. You think about what it means to eat the Lord's Supper. When you're discouraged, when the world sort of beats you up, and you're discouraged in your life right now, but you come into this room and you've got a whole crowd of people, a family of people, and they're eating the Lord's Supper at the same time you are, then they're singing praise to God, hearts filled with the grace of God. You know what? I, I don't see how you could not be encouraged. And you know it by experience. You know, you know that's true. Number three, assembly provides loving accountability. There's, there's just something about this room. There's something about meeting together with Christians I mean, I know that Galatians chapter 6, the first four verses say that, that when a brother is, gets involved in some sin, that we which are spiritual should restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, gentleness. And that's, that's right. But even, even just assembling, even, even just doing what we're doing right now, praying together and eating the Lord's Supper together and worshiping together has a sense of accountability. You get wrapped up in some sin, you're going to find it less and less comfortable to be in this room with these Christians. How many times do you think today already before worship, and it'll happen after worship, that one Christian will come to another and will say, so, how are things going? Happens all the time. And very often with specifics, how are things going with your job? I know you've been struggling with your job. How are things going? Or maybe it's trouble with, with somebody in your family. How are things going with your daughter? How are things going? How are things going with your, if you're very, very personal, very close, how are things going with your husband or with your wife? What's going on there? It's a sense of accountability. It's, it's that we are pulling each other up and, and drawing each other to what is right. Now, here's number four. It shows our respect for the organization of the church, for the New Testament pattern So here's what happens in the New Testament about worship assemblies. You have, of course, the Sunday morning, or the Sunday, I shouldn't say morning, but the Sunday main worship of the church. And in Acts chapter 20 and verse 7, 
when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart of the morrow. So you have what we're doing right now. This is the main worship of the week. Those are my words, the, the, the main worship. And according to this passage, it, it appears that the centerpiece of this morning worship or this Sunday worship was the Lord's Supper. We don't rush the Lord's Supper in this church. We take time for it. That's the right thing to do. And it's the centerpiece of that worship. But the early Christians met at other times, not just on Sunday. So you have, you have Acts chapter 12 and verse 12, and they were just scared to death. The Christians were about about Peter, who was in danger of being killed by Herod. And so here you have them meeting at Mary's house, the mother of John Mark, and they're praying. So they have a prayer meeting. My grandmother, I told you this, my grandmother used to call the Wednesday evening assembly the prayer meeting. Sometimes I do it too, but I think she probably got it from Acts chapter 12. I think she got it from there. They assembled, the Christians assembled, for the purpose of prayer, and so far as any indication we have, it wasn't on the Lord's Day. It wasn't on Sunday. They met other times during the week, and you can have other illustrations of that fact. So there's the organization of the church about that. Now, who, who decides about the assemblies that are met on days other than Sunday? Who is it that does that? Who, who calls the assemblies? And the answer is, of course, logically, that it would be the elders who would do that. So First Peter chapter 5 says that they are to shepherd the flock which is among them and take the oversight of that. They're to shepherd it. And King James says to feed the church of God which is among you. In Hebrews 13 and verse 17, talking about the elders, said, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. And watch this. Because they watch for your souls. Who is it that decides when to call the assemblies. Then the elders do that. So you have this main assembly, which is what we're in right now, on the Lord's Day. And then you have other times during the week that you meet. Well, our elders have decided that we'll meet on Sunday nights. for assemb- We'll assemble then. We'll assemble on Wednesday nights. We'll assemble for seminars and gospel meetings, special occasions when we'll bring somebody in, talk about a particular subject and And the elders are the ones who call those meetings because they're the shepherds of our souls. That's how it works. And in fact, you can divide it a little more than that because sometimes the elders will designate an assembly time and it's not for the whole church, right? It's not not for all, everybody. So you might have a, for example, once a month you have a digging deep ladies Bible study or on Wednesday afternoon you have a senior citizens Bible study for an hour. There may be times in our times, you have a men's retreat coming up pretty soon, by the way, and that's not for everybody. We, we don't have any doilies there, and we don't have any frou-frou. It's just for the guys, just for the men. We love all the women, but they're not invited, right? That's just, that's an assembly for the men. But when the elders call for the whole church to assemble, there's an obligation there. It's, it's obligatory because... The Bible says that they're the shepherds of our souls and that we should follow them and we should submit ourselves to that. And I do not know a more, a clearer example of that than when they call for the assemblies. The assembly is important because it shows our respect for the organization of the church. Can it be a sin to to miss it, to miss the assembly? Oh, yes. Oh, oh, there's no question about that. 
The reason is because, I mean, if I choose, the elders in this church will tell you that there are going to be times when members of the church are unable to attend the worship assemblies. And the elders understand that. For example, there may, there may be times, obviously, every week there are examples where people are sick. And sometimes it's because they're taking care of people who are sick. And sometimes it's because their job is in such a way that they have to work this shift or that shift and are prohibited from coming to worship. But, but I would draw the line not there. It would be drawn here. It's when I choose. It's about my heart. It's when I, when I could come. I'm able to come, but I simply choose not to come. And for that person, it would be a sin. Because what the Bible teaches is that this is who we are. This is what the church is. Now, that brings me to the fifth point and the last one, and it's this. Assembling is the heart of the word, the Greek word, ekklesia. Now, many people in this room are familiar. In fact, this may be one of the most familiar Greek words that, that, the, that the church knows about. It's ecclesia, and, and it's the word from which we get our word church. It is the most common New Testament word for the word church. Now, what does ecclesia mean? Well, it's a compound word of two different words, ek and kaleo, and ek means out of, and kaleo means called. And so we say that, that the, the church is made up of people who are called out of the world into the kingdom of our Lord. Well, that's true, but it's not really the essence of the word ecclesia. I want to show you what that is. Now, I would take this in three tiers. Let me have that next slide. Let's do three tiers. And the first one comes here. In Acts chapter 19 and verse 32, let me just give you the the feeling of Acts, or the meaning of Acts 19, the, the heart of the narrative. So here's Ephesus, and Paul has done this huge thing by making this public statement that, that there are no gods, ready for this, that are made by hands. To me, it just seems not controversial at all. It just seems obvious to me. There are no gods that are made by men's hands. But there was this, this upheaval that happened as a result because these large number of people in Ephesus derived their income from making these, uh, these silver idols, images, to the prophetess, or the, I'm sorry, the goddess, Diana. So they're furious. They're furious. This is getting to the pocketbook, and they're not happy about this at all. And there's this great crowd that assembles to cry out against this. Do you know what verse 32 calls that? That it has nothing to do with God. It has only a a very minor thing to do with religion at all. It has to do with, and some people, in fact, the Bible says there, didn't even know what this group was for. They didn't even know what the, the hoopla was for. They just knew that there was one and they want to pile on, right? And so the point is that that word in Acts 19.32, some Another, for the assembly was confused. Most of them didn't know why they'd come together. The word assembly, are you ready for this? Is ecclesia. Which is the word translated in our New Testament, typically, as church. So here's the generic use. Here's the early generic use. And it it means called out into an assembly. But the word ecclesia, 
and the translators translated it church. I would have rather they translated assembly to be clearer, but they translated it church, and the generic sense just means into an assembly. All right, now here is, here's the second one. Here's the second tier or the second level in this evolution of how the, the word is used. Let me give you a quote before I do that. Here's Everett Ferguson on this first point. The popular etymology deriving the word from called out, ek and kaleo, is not supported by the actual usage of the word, the typical way we use it. The emphasis was on the concrete act of assembly, not on a separation from others. The point of it is that the emphasis of the word church, and we say called out, and it means called out of the world into the kingdom, right? But that's not the emphasis of the word. The word wasn't on where you came from. It was more on the fact that just the fact that of, of assembly. The ecclesia was the assembly. It's very much like in the middle of the night, and it's, it's in the 17th century, and there's a house afire in a little community, and so somebody realizes that, starts ringing the bell, It doesn't really matter from which house you come or that you were slumbering in your bed. What matters is that we've got an assembly to start carrying the buckets. That's the the word. It is about the assembly itself, not about the place from which you came to be in the assembly. All right, now give me the next slide, please. So here's the second is the preferred word for the church. Here's the evolution. So we start with generic, and it just means an assembly, religious or not. Ecclesia. Then it became the preferred word for the church. So here's Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, a very familiar verse. And my Lord said, on this rock, the rock is is what Peter just confessed, the reality that he's the son of God. On this rock, I will build my ecclesia. What does that mean? Of course, we know that it's translated church. On this rock, I will build my church. But the Greek word is ekklesia. It's the same word that was used over in Acts 19 for that, that crazy mob. But the reason is it just meant assembly. Now it's, it's becoming and becomes the preferred word for the assembly of people that belong to Jesus. And in this context, that is the church. That's what it means. So 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15, and the Bible says... If I tarry long, you know, may, may know how to behave yourself, the house of God, which is the church of the living God, pillar in the ground of the truth. You know what that word is? It's ecclesia. The church is the assembly. It means the assembly, in this case, of people who are gathered in the way that you are right now for the cause of Christ. Jesus is the leader of that. So you have Ephesians 5, 22 through 25, and 25 says... Christ loved the the ecclesia and gave himself for it. And Christians are known by this assembly. If you have a, a hockey team, you have a hockey team, and they're at the professional level, and they're very famous. They, they don't live on the field or on the, on the ice. They don't live there. They, they have houses and they have families and they live, but they come together in this place, this arena, and they play hockey. And that's what they're known for. And they're hockey players. Well, that, that may be a, a, a challenging illustration, but it's very similar. You, you and I have homes to live in and we've got families and we've got jobs and we've got 
a life out there. But what distinguishes us as Christians is this, is that we assemble. It's that the church is synonymous with the word assembly. And this is the assembly that belongs to Jesus. I'm saying that the essence of who we are as Christians in a body is that we assemble. Now, here's the third one. Christians just became known by assembling. That's how we're known. And and here again is a quote from Everett Ferguson that I think might be helpful. A family is not a family if it is never together, or at least bound in memory of past gatherings and hope of future reunions. The church may survive where there's a poor program of religious education, little evangelism, virtually no benevolence, but it will not survive where it does not meet. On this rock, I will build my ecclesia. On this rock, I will build my assembly. The assembly then is integral to being a Christian, to be part of this family, and it has to do with assembling. It has to do with who we are. If we decided that we would be the church, but we chose not to assemble, we, we, we couldn't be what this is. We couldn't be what this says. There's something about seeing each other face to face, isn't there? In First John chapter Second John, verse 12, you remember that John makes reference to this? I don't, I don't want to just keep writing to you. I want to come to you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. And so when Jesus was designing the church, that's what he, he, he designed. I want you to be assembling people. Is it a sin to miss the assembly? I mean, I mean is it a sin to choose to miss the assembly? Yes. Why? Well, not only because you have Hebrews 10.25, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, but it's a sin to choose to not assemble because this is who we are. It is so essential, so fundamental to who we are as Christians that when the Lord looked for a word, the Holy Spirit looked for the word to describe us, it was what we would say church. It was the church, and he died for the church. I just want you to know that the word church, ecclesia, means his assembly. It means his assembly, and that's how important it is. I'm so thankful for you. I, 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 I get to longing for worship during my week, and, and I come together, and this is, in all the world, this is my favorite place to come and be a part of an assembly. This is my favorite place because I know what kind of atmosphere will be here when we assemble for worship? I know that we, that we get quiet and we eat the Lord's Supper. And that I'm going to be surrounded by, by my brothers and sisters in Christ. And we're going to sing together. That we're going to be all together like this. And we're going to pray to God together. And we're going to study his book, right? I need that. And we need that. We need the encouragement. We need the accountability. And we need to be able to say to the devil and the world out there, this is who we are. I'm not ashamed of it. The most important decision in my life was becoming a Christian. And we declare that when we faithfully assemble. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word, brought to us by Glenn Colley.
If you have comments or questions, Glenn can be reached by email at collie at westhuntsville.org.